broadcasting live from Omega. <laughs> this is pop culture reference. Your one-stop <laughs> reference for all things pop culture. I think I put a little bit too much inflection into the guh. I, think... <laughs> I thought it was perfect. I, I Every time they say Omega on The Bad Batch, I do say out loud, sitting in my room with no one around, Omega. Omega. Tick. Hunter. I think Tick... Tick is one of the mo- more fun ones to say. I would say that, yeah, I'd say so. Because it's, it's like barely a syllable. It's just like a noise. <laughs> yeah, God. Tick. Tick. Oh. But we love Omega here on Pop Culture Reference. We have we... our the least annoying um season one Star Wars animated series child protagonist. That's true. Stamp that... of approval. Absolutely stamp of approval. That's, that's a first for sure, I think. But, I mean, that just means that... When they hit that season three stride, it's just gonna be pure gold. So I'm 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 into it. Ezra's like okay, I guess, but he's still pretty annoying. Yeah, I never got around to him really. I never came around on him too much. I got more to go, but you know, I I, I have time. He's not the best part of that show. Every other character is more interesting on that show <laughs> than he is. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel. But you know, he'll come back live action at some point. I'm sure he gets you'll. You'll come around a little bit, I think, but we're we're not talking about Star Wars Rebels this week. We are talking about the first season in its entirety of Star Wars The Bad Batch, but first we're going to talk about some news. Starting off with one of my favorite things I've seen in a minute, Clancy Brown himself is joining the cast of John Wick 4, and I really, there could not be a bigger stamp of approval for the John Wick franchise than, than Clancy Brown making his appearance. I, they're just like, who are the toughest guys who can <laughs> throw at Keanu? It oh, seems you, to me. you think he's going to be a bad guy? Well, I guess I that makes sense. I didn't I, see John Wick 3, so I don't know what the setup is for John Wick 4. I I didn't but... either, but I you know, I always assume it's a 50/50 chance it's just like another guy in that assassin guild, which would be fun if he's just like an old washed up assassin that's helping him or you know, crime lord in a nice suit got weird Honestly, subtitles. Clancy Brown in like a nice like a pinstripe situation. I could see that. Yeah, to have a slicked back white hair, trim up that beard, he could he could kill it. How good is Clancy Brown in literally everything? Like, to this day, I think about the Kraglin. Is that his title in Highlander? I do not know. I the think Kraglin, it's the Kraglin, right? Kraglin's Sean Gunn's character in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's... Oh. Is that the same? Perhaps... It's so, or the the, cr- the mm. Krugland. It's something weird. It's something weird and European, and he gets his throat slashed, and he sounds like he sounds in real life, and it's great. Mr. Krabs? Oh, Mr. I mean, that I mean that blew my mind as a kid for sure. Like insane. Or have you have you gotten around to Detroit Become Human yet? He's absolutely killer in that. I have not. That's on it's on the list. I'm playing control right now, Seamus, so Oh well, you take your time on that, my friend. Yeah, I'm really excited to see him in this. It, it's a great lineup to an already already stellar cast. So I hope it's good. I hope it's better than John Wick Chapter 2, which I did not like. I heard I heard John Wick Chapter 3 kind of, you know, started coming around again. So hopefully they, they're hitting their stride. Hopefully they don't go too many John Wicks. Even, 
you know, throw branch out, maybe a spinoff or two, just do something. I, I just, if they well, get I it as bloated as think- they already are, kind of, then I, I just, it, it's going to go downhill. I'm not crazy about the whole Assassin Guild thing. Like, it was a fun detour in the first movie, but then the second movie was, like, all about that. Oh, was it? <laughs> well, it was a lot about it. Uh, yeah. There was more of it. And I, f- and I feel like that's, like, going to be their inclination to move in that direction when it doesn't really interest me a ton. Is Lance Riddick, like, a ba- does he turn into a badass? Isn't he, like, the, the uh, front desk guy? Yeah, he's the front desk guy. I think he, I think he's confirmed back for this one, too. I would like to see that polite character just, like, whip out some guns and, like, do some John Wick help. I don't know. I've seen both movies once, so it's been a while. Well, we'll we'll recap just just for old Clancy Brown to get prepped for this new one, I think. Absolutely. But, Seamus, I have one, I've got one question for you. What you got? Do you know the way? Oh, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I didn't. I didn't know if you were going to do the voice or not, but uh, I heard it in the voice, I promise you. Yeah, How much do you want to bet? Idris Elba, now cast as Knuckles, confirmed in the sequel to the Sonic the Hedgehog live-action movie. How much you want to bet he'll say that in that movie? Oh, it'll be like his big moment. It'll that, be yes, exactly. They'll do a they'll do a tight zoom on his face, and he'll it'll be like a "Come with me if you want to live" type of moment. But it'll be so <laughs> memed out. Um, I feel like because Knuckles Knuckles starts off as a bad guy usually in Sonic, right? Like I think so. I'm so removed from the Sonic verse. I I never really had a Sega or anything, so so I feel like maybe. Maybe when they start to team up, maybe if they're, like, stuck in Dr. Robotnik's facility, and he's like, do you know the way? <laughs> it's a throwaway. It's just, like, asking for directions. I yeah. I was going to say more, like, what if he is, he's, like, a Winter Soldier type, but he's trying to convert Sonic to the evil side. Do you know the way? And it's, like, a, it's played for, like, Ooh. a dark moment. They should hire you to write the Sonic bullshit. <laughs> somebody who knows nothing about Sonic. Oh, I would make it good. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and t- tell you that it wouldn't be amazing. But, I mean, you know. <laughs> I, I played, they they gave away a Sonic game, like, a, like a year ago on PS Plus, And it's the most bizarre thing of all time. You, like, make your own animal character. And then Sonic gets captured as a pow by eggman and is like tortured for 10 years in like a like a prison lab and you have to like break him out it's like really dark and strange yeah i also never got into sonic Shamus. oh no yeah like does that description not make you like jump on it right away it's insanity i i played like one of the 3d sonic games a long time ago and i don't remember what even system it would have been on and i remember not being impressed with it and Mario over yeah. Sonic any day, man. I'm waiting for that Illumination Mario movie. Is it Illumination for real? Yeah, wait, you didn't know that? I Minions I are going to be in it, coming, bro. I just didn't realize. Goombas are the new Minions. Goombas are the new Minions. Next up, we've got a delay on Venom 2 until October. A thing we probably will not be covering, but is definitely worth talking about because I think... Probably with all the Delta variant stuff going on, as we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, probably more delays on the horizon, I would say. This w- this one doesn't bum you out? You weren't looking forward to Venom in a, in a couple months? Uh, 
no. No? <laughs> I, I mean, me neither. I, I would love for this movie to be great. I mean, I feel like I keep reading about how Tom Hardy was a big part of writing this script and, like, how he put a lot of... I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know how this movie could be good. I it's it's such a strange branch I, of the Marvel universe. Can be good, you know. I guess, but like, if Venom the first one, like as a character, Venom should be not that hard to write a movie for. But there's just there's nothing about that first one that interests me. It's crazy. The cast interests me. I would love to see that cast in anything that is not Venom. <laughs> well, Venom 2 is not Venom 1. That is that is a very valid point. <laughs> turn me around on this entire film. There you go, baby. They're gonna, Carnage is going to be the thing that really gets you. I don't know. I'm, I, I guess I'll watch Venom 1. I mean... Uh, Maybe there's, you hear the exasperation in my voice. Just like well, anything that can be connected to a Spider Verse now, I'm gonna have to like keep my eye on for some reason. So that's exactly why we decided not to do these for the show is because we didn't want the audience to have to listen to us just sigh <laughs> for an, for well for two consec two two consecutive episodes. Yeah, it would it would have been no fun for us. It would have been no fun for the listeners for sure. It's I don't know this one. Not the not at the top of my list of delays to be sad about, I guess. Now, here's something that has been hotly anticipated, Seamus. The Criterion Collection is finally diving into the realm of 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, and they're starting off with some pretty killer movies. Citizen Kane, Menace 2 Society, The Piano, Mulholland Drive, The Red Shoes, and A Hard Day's Night. All spectacular films, spectacular-looking films that I'm sure will benefit a ton from being on this large-format disc. Yeah, man, I'm honestly surprised that they haven't really dabbled in this yet for being, like, the authority on, like, archiving the world's most important films, more or less. Like, I'm glad they're finally getting around to it. Maybe they'll do a full overhaul get the entire collection out there i'm sure that will take a long long time but you know i would love to see citizen kane on on 4k or you know hard day's night absolute classic would be so much fun on 4k for a while now criterion has been doing their restorations and scans in 4k i think probably in preparation for the fact that eventually they would start producing 4k discs but the interesting is about the interesting thing is about Criterion, the fact that they are so committed to the idea of accessible media, mm. and I think their rationale up until this point has really been, most people do not have the capacity to play 4K Blu-ray, so why are would we be putting out the money and potentially raising up price points to do that? You know, you know I think yeah. now, with this new generation of game consoles that all play 4K Blu-ray with the standardization of 4K televisions, it's finally the right time for Criterion to be like, you know what, we're releasing these films on accessible formats, and this is finally an accessible format for most people. Well, I'm so happy to see it. I'm I'm sure they're going to be doing it in like chunks of films like this at a time, so... We'll definitely keep that update rolling, and hopefully I can actually expand on my Criterion, my personal Criterion collection, because so far I'm still just sitting on that great uh, Princess Bride 
and the DVD of Rushmore that you could find at every record store in the country. So I'd like to I'd like to every keep going. Every single Goodwill is allotted <laughs> one copy of the Criterion DVD of Rushmore. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, God help me, I love it. But like, you can find that anywhere. Truly, I mean, maybe I'll get it on 4K. I, replace my old DVD. It's a very good release. That, that oh yeah. DVD. Definitely, I, I think I got that for Christmas once. It was a bizarre Christmas movie to watch, but it was it was great. I'll I'll still I'm still waiting for the Blu-ray release of the Criterion of the Rock. So oh yeah, man, hell, it, did did they not just produce that, or are they just out of stock, never reprinted them? No, they just they never did. They never it never made the jump to Blu-ray. There are lots of Damn. Criterion editions that never made the jump from format to format. Like, like the Princess Bride technically was a Laserdisc Criterion release. And then it never made the jump to DVD. Wait a minute. And then it made the jump to Blu-ray. There's a Laserdisc Criterion collection? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. that is... We were talking about this, I think, today or yesterday of just, like, the allure of media that you own but can't play. Having a Criterion Laserdisc would be incredible. Yeah, I think Criterion... Again, it's, like, this high-quality format, and I think Laserdisc was an experiment in something that wasn't necessarily the standard at the time that didn't go over super well for them. But it was a lot higher quality than VHS, so. Well, now, like I said, well, I'm sure they're going to be releasing more and more in that that sweet 4K, so I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be happy to see what they come up with next here. Well, Seamus, physical media is dead. So, ain't that what they say? Netflix for all. Long live streaming, especially considering the fact that HBO Max starting in 2022 will have a 45-day theatrical window for Warner Brothers releases, after which Warner Brothers releases will be immediately streaming on HBO Max. So, kind of like Paramount Plus is doing now, 45 days after Warner Brothers releases it, you can stream it. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. I, I feel like a lot of times there are movies that I'd like to see that are, are quite recent that I maybe would go to the theater to see, usually, but now if I don't really have to, like, 45 days ain't that long, you know? I can, I'm happy to wait 45 days to watch, like, you know, A Quiet Place 2, I thought was, was you know, lovely on the old streaming box, so I, I, I'm, I'm into this. It's, it's not too, not too long. I think this is definitely the first of many long-term effects we're going to see uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic on on film releases in general yeah yeah so who knows maybe disney will say we'll keep this premium access thing going even after people are comfortable going back to movies again yeah maybe i wouldn't love that as much i i still can't get over the pricing of premium access stuff but you know i guess if they're making we their were money also just saying that we're probably gonna break the dam and and do shang chi premium <laughs> access because <laughs> yeah, we're not trying to get covid at the movie theater see i'll i'll that's worth paying that premium access price point i feel like is just just in case i wouldn't do that for like a for like a black widow or a in the heights or any anything it's something like that i i know that's a different service but no jungle cruise seamus I, dude, I just can't get excited about Jungle Cruise. I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't know anything about the ride or just, like, I've got rock fatigue, but it's... I have, like, crazy rock fatigue. I really do. Like, I like The Rock. Like, Dwayne Johnson, you know, he's got the on-screen charisma. He really plays that one role he does very well in all of the different movies that he is in, but... I, th- I think it's the Fast and the Furious movies that did us Maybe. <laughs> that That must be it, truly. Because I was so annoyed by him, especially when we got to, like, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, freaking Hobbs and Shaw, dude. Too much. Too much. But you know who I never get tired of? Who's that? Dom. 
the, oh, old Vin. Oh, if he made an appearance, we were dying for that cameo, man. We were thirsting for that cameo. Ugh. But that wraps us up for our news, so should we move on to our to our main segment? Yeah, let's bad batch it up. So season one of Star Wars The Bad Batch, spin-off from Star Wars The Clone Wars, the animated series. Seamus, tell me, spoiler-free thoughts, what did you think overall of this first season? Honestly, man, I I really enjoy The Bad Batch, you know? I, I can so very much feel that it is just the spiritual continuation of the Clone Wars, and I think that I don't have too much of a problem with that. They're they're definitely dabbling in a lot more of the newer canon stuff, like, you know, uh, I don't know if it's spoilers or not, it was in the trailer, but like, you know, Fennec Shand making her appearance and you know, con- making those wider connections to things like Rebels, it's... I think it's a great step in the right direction, and like we kind of were talking about up top, Omega, not annoying, genuinely very, you know, enjoyable on screen. I I felt a lot more compelled than, like, early seasons Ahsoka, obviously, though that was, you know, the big problem with a lot of people back then, but I don't know, I genuinely just really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to season two. I'm sure they're gonna, you know, now that they have their support from all those Clone Wars heads that, that migrated on over i'm sure they're going to get even crazier with the with the kind of stuff that they'll be able to do but what about you gare what are your what are your thoughts after this first season well you mentioned much like the mandalorian and similarly to rebels in fact that this is very interested in acting as connective tissue between the eras of star wars mm. and that's something that i think is sorely needed because those three eras have wildly different tones Oh, yeah. And some of those eras have wildly different tones within those eras that I think work is being done to remedy right now, or at least the groundwork to to set up to address those problems is being done. Because just like the way that there was all this retroactive storytelling in the Clone Wars to make the storytelling in the prequels kind of stand up better, I think that Disney is chasing that a little bit with their new media for the sequel trilogy Mm -hmm. however i think unlike a problem i had with the mandalorian season two this series is really good at having those cameos from around the star wars galaxy without it making without it feeling forced no cameo in this felt too big or too out of left field that I didn't understand why that character was there, one, thematically, two, from a fan service perspective, but third, and most importantly, from an actual plot standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't feel like any time we ran into anybody that it was forced. Maybe, there's one kind of like side quest mission in one of the episodes that maybe does feel a little bit more like empty fan service that we can talk about in a minute, but... Overall, I think ultimately these stories that they're telling on the Bad Batch are serving the characters and themes of Star Wars. It is really tightly focused on our core group of characters Mm. and getting to know them better. I do wish that Tech and Echo got more to do, especially Echo, who was such an integral part of the Bad Batch's introduction on that last season of the Clone Wars. 
Yeah, very and true. Who we had spent so much time with in the early seasons of the Clone Wars. It's kind of sad to me that he's just kind of become a background character in this series. But other than that, I've been very impressed with this show. It's exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I think I think those are all very good points. But in the end, you're right. My expectations going in were, were kind of all over the place. But after binging this show, like, all in a row over four days, it, it definitely came through. Also, I think they use their celebrity cameo voices like very well they don't use them in a way that it feels like a gimmick like Rhea Perlman is a regular on this season and it feels like they cast her because the role was good for Rhea Perlman not because oh we could get Rhea Perlman to be on the Bad Batch you know yeah I and maybe this is just because I've always wanted them to play like sisters or something in in a thing like a star war but like sid as a character kind of almost reminded me of amy sedaris's character just kind of like a like a rough interesting no nonsense kind of woman i know it's impossible now that sid is like an alien lizard woman but i think they're like i appreciated her a lot in that role as well is what i'm saying those two characters could crossover potentially we don't know how yeah. old amy sedaris is we don't know how long trandoshans live you very know? true i i i, I like that a little banter back and forth from two very stern women because like imagine if sid was trying to get her ship fixed at the moss isley spaceport oh yeah that's all i'm saying could happen because could happen sid's cheap we know that you know very true she doesn't want to part with her money her credits and they both have soft spots for small children with special powers i wouldn't say omega necessarily has special powers and we'll get I into mean... this more i guess in, in <laughs> yeah spoilers. spoilers but i don't want people to think that i'm sp- like, like that we are spoiling omega anything. has the force Whoa. Ooh. i mean i still think that's probably on the table for next <laughs> oh you think so i don't want them to do it but i think that it's possible midichlorians mm. Oh, God. All right, I want to get into spoilers before I I spill out this terrible theory that I don't want to be true. Okay, well, yeah, I think overall, if you're a fan of the Clone Wars, you're definitely going to enjoy The Bad Batch. If you're a more casual Star Wars fan, maybe you haven't watched the other animated... I frankly don't know how much you would get out of The Bad Batch. My mom, she's never watched a Star Wars animated thing, but she's invested in the dynamic between the characters and she understands Mm. enough about star Wars to like get into it. So I think that you certainly can watch it. I would recommend watching like a clone Wars highlight reel or the last couple seasons of clone Wars first, probably before jumping into this. But other than that, you can go in pretty cold and still, still enjoy yourself. Probably. Right. I don't, I, uh, I don't know if I can necessarily, I feel like I got a lot, out of the, at least the Clone Wars side of things are so important. I feel like if you have just seen, like, episode three, you're gonna maybe need a little more context. But as a whole, like, their their group dynamic, as you were saying, is is very well worth checking it out regardless if you have, like, all of the, the strands of Star Wars canon that, that tie in here. I guess that's what I should say, is that while I would definitely advise you to have watched Clone Wars and at least some of Rebels before embarking on this show i think that the core story being told is strong enough to stand on its own yeah yeah definitely hard agree so yeah i think let's talk spoilers though seamus because there's lots of really interesting stuff to talk about in this series some of which connects some of which doesn't connect all the way but i'm overall very interested in it and discussing it with you 
Yeah, man. We, there's a, a lot of fun episodic stuff that just kind of has its own contained little episode. A lot of fun connective things. I, I like the that they're kind of a band of mercenaries specifically for Sid. I think that it's an interesting way for them to kind of make ends meet fresh out of deserting the em- the newly formed empire. I just like Sid in general. Um, I want to just throw this out there before I forget. I mentioned this to you before. Cad Bane's hat, too small. It like they they <laughs> shrunk it. I the entire two episodes that he was in, I was like, I think they did it so they could fit him through doors. Like I don't think they wanted to <laughs> reanimate the spaceship doors, so they just shrunk his hat. I don't know. It's it bugged me a little bit, but I loved I loved seeing him. I got a good gasp out of that and his boy Seth Greenbot back with him. Very fun to see again as well. Yeah, I think like let's just kind of run down that that cast of characters, cast of returning characters in this show because there are a lot of them. Oh, like yeah, like, for sure. And there are some of them that probably didn't need to show up, but I feel like overall it's it doesn't feel too forced again because we're in this era of Star Wars with characters that are so connected to other characters. So like mm-hmm. Rex shows up on this show, which we already knew was going to happen from the trailers. And that makes complete sense to me for Rex to be in this in this series. He is a clone. They are clones. He and Echo are like best buddies. That completely lines up. Them seeing Gregor, same kind of thing. They actually mm-hmm. rescue Gregor, which yeah. is one of the things I was really hoping we would see in this series. I'm trying to think. Okay, let's talk about more obscure ones. I guess we've got, uh, like I said, Fennec Fennec Shand. She gets her she gets her stuff in there, of course, again from the trailers. Yep, Fennec Shand, Cad Bane. Bib Fortuna for one episode. (laughs) Not the Rancor from Return of the Jedi, which is dumb. Which is shenanigans, so (laughs) it's the Rancor from Return of the Jedi. I would like to think so. I think that's probably the episode that felt the weakest to me. Yeah, you know, it... The fact that they, like, they lullaby, uh... Oh, no, I guess he, like, beats a Rancor baby into submission is something. (laughs) (laughs) It seems... I don't know. It feels the most side questy to me. Sure, yeah, I feel that. I think that is one where it feels more like Omega is coming into her own, and that's where she gets her cool bow and stuff. Oh, yeah. There isn't stuff that doesn't... Like, stuff happens in that episode that matters. It's just, overall, it felt very, like... Oh, we got to go get the thing for Job of the Hut. No, oh, it's Job of the Hut. Oh, get it. You rank for it. Yeah, yeah. The connections to Rebels in Hera and Kanan. And I think the the highlight of this season for me was the two episode Ryloth arc. That really was. That was really good. That was something. that was wonderful in having Hera get her you know her origin stuff going with Chop, Chip Chop. He's there. He's doing his thing. And we got um like some of the more compelling clone like post order 66 clone drama i feel like commander hauser yeah best hauser i mean like fan favorite already considering the fact that he's only in two episodes of this (laughs) series and you know it's it's interesting there's a lot of moments of like you know post republic early empire struggles that are touched on in like the structure of the Empire's military and how the TK troopers are coming in to replace the CTs and just, like, how that emotionally is impacting all of these, like, what the Empire considers just, like, faceless masses of soldiers and how that's making them all as individuals, even without, you know, the Bad Batch, they're all individual genetically or whatever, they get their special thing, but, like, the regular, the regs themselves finding 
like a path of mutiny against what would become the evil empire. It's just, it was all very interesting. Yeah, I think that is really the core of this series is who do you become? You know, you were created to fight for the Republic. That's been your entire life. How do you deal with the realization that the thing that you fought for, what, three years the Clone Wars were, I think? That was some Yoda speak. Three years the Clone Wars were. <laughs> um, was it only three? It feels like ten years was went into that I th- war. I think it's only three years. I think it, wow. it might even be two years. I what? don't know. It doesn't matter, but <laughs> basically the, the clones have been fighting this war their entire lives for the Republic, and now whatever they thought they were fighting for is gone, and how do you deal with that? How do you survive that? And obviously, that conflict is exemplified with our main Bad Batch characters, Omega, and the rest of the original members, except for, of course, Crosshair, who leaves the match initially due to his inhibitor chip, but then, as we learn in the two-part finale, not because of his inhibitor chip. He chooses to stay with the Empire. But there are these smaller moments with other clones, like Hauser's Mutiny, where you get to see the individuality of these clones that, even though the inhibitor chip activated order 66 that they are still individuals and they are capable of free thought so i especially like at the end of the sec it's either the end of the penultimate episode or the beginning of the finale the true finale Mm. that this clone comes up on the bridge to admiral rampart and he's like uh every everything's destroyed on on Camino, sir. <laughs> yeah. So sad. Yeah, God, he just I mean he he commanded 3 Venator class starships to just ruin their birthplace. It's got to be pretty dark stuff, you know? I mean yeah, I I was sad to see Camino go, which I really didn't think I would be because I think when I think about Camino I always picture Attack of the Clones and I do and how it's just this weird <laughs> void of a planet and seeing it get destroyed in this series they did a really good job contextualizing in a very short amount of episodes compared to what we had in the Clone Wars reminding the audience what Kamino is to these clones and giving it an impact when it falls into the bottom of the ocean with the Bad Batch in it, which is crazy. I mean, I think during the finale, we actually got to watch that one together. There's a shot, like, they're escaping the sinking wreckage of their home, and you see the, like, DNA baby pods of their growing brothers just slowly submerge into ocean water, and it's, like, pretty... It's devastating. Like, they look really distraught watching all this go down. And, I mean, I really was, too. Camino's always been one of my favorite planets, just design-wise, of, like, the constant storms plus the super, like, stark, bright, white interior of all those, like, cool buildings. I always thought it was just interesting as hell. And now it's ruined. The Empire destroyed it. Very sad. I also really want to shout out Kevin Kiner, because while we're talking about bridging the different eras of Star Wars, that he, as a composer, he's worked on Clone Wars, he's worked on Rebels. He did such a good job composing a main theme that's exciting and dynamic for these characters, but also at weaving in all of the Williams music and Mm -hmm. his old Clone Wars music at really integral times, the way that they use 
the Imperial music when they start bringing in the proto-stormtroopers and when they're in these early Imperial bases, the way that he weaves in the Kamino theme from Attack of the Clones while also incorporating themes from the clones in the Clone Wars, Rex's theme... I think there's even a few bars of Ahsoka's theme somewhere in there. Oh, yeah? Hera's theme from Rebels yes, makes yes. an appearance during the Ryloth arc. Yeah, I, I also noticed just, like, the absolute, like, masterful subtlety of, like, like you said, just weaving it seamlessly into this already really good score that we've got going for the Bad Batch themselves. But, yeah, just like you said, when they start that transition, like that true transition into the empire, it's, it's chilling. Of course, always to hear that those themes make an appearance again, knowing that that's just the signal of like, there's no getting out of this. This is like evil might that is taking control right now. And that's, that's nothing you could do. Nothing, nothing the bad batch can do about at that point, at least. I also appreciate, again, it's this continued retroactive improvement on what the prequels bring to the table because I always think the the line I always hear in my head and I think this might be from the episode 3 honest trailer <laughs> is at the end of episode 3 that everybody is forced into their episode 4 starting positions oh yeah sure and I like that the galaxy at large is now being contextualized in the bad batch as like yeah the empire is trying to crack down immediately. Like that episode with Cut, where they're taught, where immediately, it's like a couple weeks after the fall of the Republic, and already they're like, Imperial chain codes. Look, it's got all, like, the you're hearing the Imperial March, you're seeing the Imperial uniforms, and that it's all this shiny, new equipment that clearly Palpatine 1 had been planning this infrastructure. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the implication, but also that it makes it feel like a more severe oppression of daily life in the galaxy. Yeah. That it's yeah. not just like, oh, get it. It looks like episode four. It is actually serving like a narrative purpose now. Yeah. And it makes stuff like the I really I did like seeing all that, you know, put in throughout there. There's like the episode where they have a, a senator who's going against the the empire's wishes to keep his people's hope alive or whatever and it's just like the you know seeing the daily stuff the intimidation the manipulation of the politics of these planets that they're occupying seeing those um oh, i forget the designation the big clone walkers like march into a square to disperse a crowd of angry people is 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 mm -hmm. it's, it, like seeing that imagery is just so so interesting, so cool to see that kind of stuff, and uh, the chain code, all that, like the weird uh, pride that you see some of these new side characters have in like being part of the Empire. It definitely, to me at least, goes in with like the cool stuff in like the Solo movie where he has to like join up on the Empire and all that, and that kind of making the legitimacy of all those Imperial day-to-day -day things in something like Solo feel like there was actual, uh, like, gradual things in place to to make it that way, and those are some of the gaps that I really appreciated seeing filled in this show. Also, maybe other than some of the stuff on Mandalore and the Clone Wars, the Ryloth arc 
in this series is the most interesting politics I've ever seen in Star Wars. Yeah, man. There's like he's got his like general friend and like the morality of like, do I just, just I'm so tired of war. Like I am so <laughs> tired of having to protect my family directly and indirectly from the conflicts of two people that like I don't want to care about but have to. It's it's, it's very well done. D. Bradley Baker voices like 75% of the characters on this show. <laughs> yeah. And he's spectacular, really impressive. Chell Omega is also really good. Oh, man, I want to see... I know there's no um, advanced aging genes in o- Omega, but I'd love to see, you know, an adult badass Omega trained by the Bad Batch doing Bad Batch things. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But that also means that the Bad Batch would probably be dead because they have also advanced aging and... Well, I'll tell you, I kind of expected Bad Batch members to die more than they yeah, have been, by which I, I mean none of them die at the end <laughs> of the first season. Yeah, that was that was kind of... I was fully expecting either uh, Wrecker or Crosshair to bite it in a, some kind of sacrificial way. Uh, we <laughs> We almost got the sacrificial tragedy of... AZ, the robot that we both really love, uh, we avoided that thankfully. Screaming at the TV, <laughs> so sad. I I also do like how they made like the big redemption moment of Crosshair saving the droid. I mean, I guess it's also saving Omega, but I mean, it's also it's really the droid. <laughs> we knew Omega wasn't gonna die. They weren't. Yeah, gonna exactly. Kill Omega. Exactly. They're, they might have killed AZ. Oh, thank God they didn't. But you know, now we've got Crosshair still out there. Still a real bastard and really angry at the other boys for uh, kind of doing what, like, the exact same thing he did of just, like, not reaching out, basically, to to bring him back into the fold. But, you know, I, I assume now with his inhibitor chip gone and his uh, face-to-face escape with his with his brothers there, that he's going to be more conflicted, maybe get turned on by the Empire himself and have to make his way out. But, I don't know, maybe he'll sacrifice himself in Season 2. He's kind of a jerk. I also do want to give a quick shout-out, just because I want to mention it, or else I'll be like, oh, Seamus, we didn't talk about the fact that they go to Bracca for multiple yes. episodes. And Bracca's a great planet. Calcestis is definitely on that planet during this time period, and I admire trying <laughs> to not have him cameo. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost, I almost was a little disappointed, but then I was like, they're, they are saving this very specifically for something else important. So I'm, I'm, I'm just glad to see Bracca. I think that's one of the coolest designed newer planets. Just the Venator graveyard is just so aesthetically very cool to see. Any other final thoughts on Bad Batch, Seamus? Any predictions for season two? Uh, they, uh, they kind of, they sprinkled in a little Delta Delta Squad in here. I believe Hunter fights Scorch. Yeah, in, Scorch is on the facility. I really want them to do like a Bad Batch v Delta Squad season arc of like they are being hunted by the Delta Squad. And maybe we'll get a little more actual characterization in something that isn't like a 10 second cameo. Um, I think maybe Omega was cloned to be force sensitive because she's kind of got that intuition thing that nobody can really figure out. Uh, 
I hope they don't do that. I bet they will, because they're going to make uh, all this cloning stuff uh, set up for Exegol and the and Palpatine's return later. So we're going to see if they can pull that off this time. I'm excited to see what Season 2 holds. I hope that we're not too focused on... Like, I don't want both the Mandalorian and the Bad Batch to be about Snoke cloning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you. And, like... Not that I'm inherently opposed to the idea of expanding that part of the Star Wars universe. It's just that I th- I think especially with the Mandalorian, you know, I was enjoying how removed it was from the rest of the Skywalker saga. Mm-hmm. This inherently has more DNA in, in common. You know, it's related to the Clone Wars. Most of these characters have met Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. So I'm a bit cooler with the Bad Batch exploring that area. Nalasu or Lamase or whatever Kaminoan that they have as <laughs> the last stinger in in the end of the finale that was one of my only gripes really with the finale was the fact that the bad batch are like okay goodbye crosshair and you think that's gonna be like the final shot and then they have that lame stinger it's like oh but lama sue's still alive and i'm like do i care though like we knew that she like they i'm pretty sure they straight up say it is like yeah we're gonna take you and you're gonna be helping the empire with your cloning expertise and then this yep. stinger is like, welcome, you will be helping the Empire with your cloning expertise. And we're like, yeah, we know. And like, yeah. Dr. Pershing lady is there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it turns out that's going to be Pershing's mom. Could have had a Boba cameo as the stinger is all I'm saying. I think, I think they're probably going to build to Boba. I think that maybe that's something that Omega will be interested in exploring. Yeah, because I guess that makes sense. Because she's older than the bad we know she's older than the bad batch now but i'm trying to figure out like i'm and i'm doing the math in my head she she is probably a little younger than boba sure i i would probably guess that but i'd be very curious to see how they would interact oh i i got it they're setting up for the book of boba fett where that's gonna be the main thing them as adults hooking back up seeing what's up they've got Nicole Kidman, like we were talking about, or yeah. Charlize, Charlize playing Omega, grown-up Omega. Sure, yeah. Maybe, no, you couldn't give her Mandalorian stuff. That that doesn't fit there. Give her, oh, give her, like, refitted Bad Batch armor from all the different gr- guys in the group. Get her with Boba, have them do adventures. That's what's up. What would Omega's cool face tattoo be? Uh, the Omega symbol, I assume, right? I guess. It's weird that, like, the Greek alphabet exists in, um... <laughs> In Star Wars. Get in that Y-Wing. What's Y? I don't know. We use Arabesh here. And then they zoom off. But what do you say we move on to our pop culture reference this week? Sounds like a great time, Seamus. Today's pop culture reference is the spin-off. A spin-off is a piece of media that has been derived from a pre-existing work usually focusing in more detail on a specific aspect touched on in its predecessor. While the spin-off structure is as old as storytelling itself, such as the overlapping sagas of ancient Greek mythology, the widely accepted first spin-off of the modern media era is the 1940s radio comedy The Great Gildersleeve, which starred the character Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve from Fibber McGee and Molly. Some say that contemporary major media empires exploit the spin-off system to generate unimaginative cash grabs with built-in fan base support instead of taking risks with new properties. 
The bulk of Disney Plus's new Marvel and Star Wars content can be considered to be spin-offs based on their niche focus and correlation to the much wider, more popular franchises that they come from. Though The Bad Batch is technically a branch of the Clone Wars animated spin-off, it is also considered a spin-off itself, based on the recent backdoor pilot in the initial arc of the Clone Wars final season. Backdoor pilot, of course, is a pop culture reference that we did early on in our tenure here on the podcast, but, you know, we felt it was good for us to come back and talk about spinoffs in the context of The Bad Batch. Here on Pop Culture Reference, we have quite a few favorite spinoffs. We're quite fond of The Bad Batch, but I think both of us, truly in our heart of hearts, our favorite will always be Frasier. It's the perfect... It's the perfect spinoff in that it doesn't need to be appreciated alongside its uh, source material, per se. It's definitely, truly, maybe one of the perfect shows in general, but that's we'll, we'll get into that on our Frasier episode. Uh, other really popular um, spinoffs that are ongoing right now could be Better Call Saul from the Breaking Bad uh, series. It's almost overtaking its original uh its predecessor at this point but you know it's still got some time to go and we've also of course have our loki television show that is a spin-off of would you technically say endgame it's a spin-off of endgame technically but i think you know we touched on this before that critics i think partially us included will note that especially disney but media empires in general are creating these cinematic universes, that's what the entire idea behind them is, that kind of take the wind out of the idea of a spinoff. Mm. That it's when everyone's super, no one will be. When everything's a spinoff, <laughs> nothing is the original content. It's just a commercial for the next thing. Yeah, pretty much. And Star Wars has less of that problem, but still definitely has that problem, I think. Just like the, um, I don't watch these shows, but like all the Flash and Arrow and stuff ah, shows yes, yes. are all spinoffs of each other, and they're just like kind of in this weird <laughs> Ouroboros. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a good one to touch on. Like, spinoffs can absolutely get out of hand, like when they're just rapid-firing them like that. So it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous tactic as well as an interesting tactic to explore more stuff. Like, I know that the Cheers television universe got way too big when Lowell from Wings got his own sitcom set in North Jersey about him moving back in with his with his pops and opening up, you know, their own car shop. I didn't even know that. It, I didn't even know Wings had a spinoff of would be that is completely <laughs> That is just completely made up off the top of my head. <laughs> oh, I, was trying damn to think, it. I was trying to think of, like, what would the stupidest Cheers verse spinoff be? Um, and I think Lowell is Thomas Hayden Church from Wings is probably <laughs> right. the least likely character to carry their own spinoff <laughs> successfully. Oh, Even though I God. love Lowell, don't get me wrong. It's it's Lowell from Wings and Noel from Frasier. They become roommates and they have terrible times I together. Actually, would watch that. <laughs> I, I they would be uh, such yeah. a good odd couple, Seamus. They really be such would a good be. Dynamic. <laughs> All right, we got to pitch it to the Frasier execs. <laughs> At Frasier Network. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
the, there's the Frasier Trust that just oversee the legacy of the series Frasier. It's, it's just, I mean, it could just be Kelsey Grammer in a boardroom sitting at the long end of the table. They're like, oh, you have to go to the Wings subsidiary, <laughs> and then you go. It's just a shack, and it's like all the season of Wings on DVD, but they're they're not even in good shape. <laughs> oh God, Wings deserves more respect. We're gonna we're gonna this is gonna be a Wings podcast now. Shame we could do a Wings podcast. I I'd think be into it. He's qualified. <laughs> oh God! All right. Well, don't hold us to that until it becomes literally the best option for this show. <laughs> Uh, you also, uh, I know you have it written down, Seamus, so I'll just mention, uh, Buffy and Angel, which I actually think is one of the first instances of a spinoff kind of requiring intertextual knowledge, like, you kind of have to follow two things at the same time, because there would be, like, crossover events with Buffy and Angel, and there's, there'll be an episode of, I've never watched Angel, but there'll be an episode of Buffy where, where Buffy's like, oh, I'm going to go to L.A. and see Angel. And then she's <laughs> the next episode and you don't get to know what happened unless you go watch Angel. Oh, that's very funny. I, I think that's hilarious. I, I think that's interesting, though, too. I mean, I thought Angel was completely after Buffy, so that's that's interesting news. No, they're concurrent. I think Angel kept going after Buffy ended. Oh, right on, um, right on. And I think there are characters that are implied to have died in the Buffy finale that come back on Angel. Oh, what the like, hell? Oh, you didn't die? <laughs> Lame. I think I think that a lot of the people write. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, <laughs> but I think a lot of the people writing for Buffy were really big comics people, ah. and they were in a position that where they were like, "What if we did this thing that comics do, but on TV?" Which was unprecedented, really. Well, yeah, that's that's a cool idea. Then if they were they were trying to go more that angle, but it's still <laughs> you just explaining it like that makes it seem a little lame. Yeah, I mean, Angel, I think. From what I've seen, I've seen a, a couple episodes, and from what I've seen, it's just kind of whatever. Right, right. It's very clearly influenced by Cole Shack, the Night Stalker, which I can respect. Um, but you know, I, I'll give it a, I'll give it a fair shake someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll we'll both we'll do the Buffy Angel watch schedule, and we'll see what's what. Yeah, you you gotta look it up. It's actually harder to find those than you think. Of like what really? order to watch those in. Yeah, it, what intercutting like, different episodes you have to put in. I, I feel like somebody out there has to have a cork board with red string that you can follow. That's the kind of thing that they should do on streaming services. Like, why can't I go to Netflix and be like, show me the Angel and Buffy Oh, yeah, that'd thing. be great. Oh, man. If only. We'll get there one day. Streaming services will turn into, like, Skynet, and it'll kill us all, but it'll give us great content, so... Ho-ho! <laughs> Oh no. Alright, alright, yeah, with that, before we get legitimately cancelled, we need to move on to Save the Rec Center. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what's up top? Well, sadly, we lost one of my favorite comedians of all time. He definitely influenced the hell out of me growing up. My sense of humor and my my view on, like, improv and sketch comedy in general. Uh, Trevor Moore passed away uh, suddenly from an undisclosed accident just a few days ago. It absolutely broke my heart, but it reminds me to appreciate his most beloved work, The Whitest Kids You Know. He helmed this sketch group that got an IFC TV show for five seasons, and it's just pure 
chaos in every single sketch. It often makes absolutely no sense, but some of the hardest laughs I've had, you know, growing up, rewatching them now, they're completely absurd and hilarious, and I... I think that it's it's good to go back and uh, show that respect after this terrible, terrible loss. So I, I think they are streaming nowhere. <laughs> so go on YouTube. I know at least like 90% of those classic sketches are on YouTube to watch for free. So Whitest Kids You Know or WKUK as they're otherwise known. It's, it's definitely worth it to go check them out. I am really tremendously unfamiliar with them. I, I know them in the context of I've always heard that they're funny and I know that like people who I respect think they're really funny and like comedians talk about how funny they are. Oh, I think yeah. that they're definitely like comedians comedians. Yeah. What could you know? I I could I could see that for sure and that's a little also weird considering that some of their sketches is like what if Abraham Lincoln was hammered in the butt instead of shot in the head to death and like <laughs> stuff like that, where it's like, it's so dumb, but it's just, it's just the way they execute is dynamite. Truly. I mean, kind of like peep show. I think you ever watch. Peep yeah, show? definitely. Absolutely. Where it's just like almost on the verge of like full cringe, but like it's, it's absolutely per- cringe in like the type of humor, not in like the way it's done. You, you get what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I completely understand that. It's, like, embarrassing to watch, like, <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. stupid. But it's, like, absolutely chef's kiss, like, perfect. Uh, also, uh, Peep Show, and I'm assuming Why Does Kids You Know, definitely big influences, big influences on huge acts like Lonely Island. Uh, I can only imagine, just like that era of early 2000s cable comedy, it's 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 definitely up there for, for stuff like that. So, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to finally check that out, Seamus. Yeah, definitely. Just any any given any given BS you find on YouTube will be absolute pure gold, I promise you. But what do you got this week for the Rec Center, Garrett? A movie I have been meaning to check out for a really long time and saw it was streaming on Hulu, so I just che- I just decided to put it on Danny Boyle's Sunshine, a movie I had always heard was very good and seen some of the imagery from that looked compelling. I did not realize how good the cast was, um, including Killian Murphy, Rose Byrne, Benedict Wong, Chris Evans. Wow, just, wow really? Like, yeah, really a stacked up cast. Um, and Danny Boyle, you know, obviously is a very lauded director, director of one of your favorite films. Honestly, a director of maybe two of my favorite films. Just be- between Trainspotting and 28 Days Later, just very range filled and talented as hell so i i i would definitely check this one out too also written by alex garland oh no kidding ex machina yeah very cool very nice it's super compelling it is a science fiction it starts out as something more akin to like a 2001 and ends something a lot more disturbing and scarier than that i like that but it is super well acted with characters that feel incredibly grounded, a crew on a years-long mission to try to reignite the dying sun so that Earth oh. can, like, be warm again. <laughs> That's pretty cool, okay. You know, it's a it's a space drama. They're running into technical problems and inter-crew problems, but also 
none of it feels like hollow drama. It feels like genuine humanity um, and meditation on humanity's ability to make mistakes and correct them and the way the mark that leaves on you. Yeah. And all of the interpersonal drama is completely rooted in character work. It doesn't just feel like, oh, I hate you because I need to be a macho guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, it's it's a really, really smart sci-fi film. I think the third act, it, I'd always heard, was pretty divisive, and I can understand why, but I, I was on board for the ride. I think it helped because I knew so little about mm. it overall. And I kind of don't want to tell you anymore because I'd be interested to hear your thoughts Dude, on it. Dude, don't say another word. I'm already sold. I like a weird concept sci-fi. Danny, yeah, you, you've got me hooked. I'm, I'm definitely going to check this one out. See, I, I would like to hear your thoughts on it when you do, Seamus. Straight up, man. You'll be the first to know. Well, next week, we are going to be covering the first couple episodes of Marvel What If on Disney+. Plus. And we're having very special guests. The boys coming over from Culture Cantina. Absolutely great YouTube channel. Milwaukee-based guys. Really excited to have them on and talk with them about Marvel stuff. I think, like, you know, they talk about, I think, probably even more Marvel stuff than we do. So it'll be good to get their opinions on it. Yeah, it's going to be a great nerd-out session with those guys. It's just going to it's gonna devolve to some weird corners of the Marvel Universe. It's going to be a lot of fun. A- absolutely. But if you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram at PCR underscore podcast. And follow us on TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Look our Facebook page. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave a review, comment down below, rate us five stars on iTunes, all of those wonderful things that you can do to help the show grow. If you want to find us personally, you can find me at Strother Garrett on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Walk of Seamus on Twitter. I'm really excited to talk more Disney Plus stuff next week, but I think we're going to have a couple weeks off from it after that. Well, Shang-Chi's coming out soon, actually, uh, so maybe it, not. It never but... ends, Garrett. It, it doesn't, but uh, I've been enjoying The Bad Batch, and I'm excited to talk about it more in a year, yeah. probably. Yeah, for sure. I, I look forward to the return, truly. But until then, we will see you next week. Adios, amigas. That was incredible, Seamus. <laughs>